Hello and welcome to the Venery Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones and this is episode 53. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about vaccines. Should you or shouldn't you? Plus the current vaccine controversy here in British Columbia. Laryngeal paralysis in dogs, what is it? And how to best to naturally treat it. And what you need to know about this increasingly common breed, the French Bulldog. Veterinary Secrets is now on iTunes and Stitcher. I'd sure appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. And lastly, if you have to do so, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and my three free videos. They're at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. So what is this vaccine controversy I brought up? Well, to begin with, there was a there's a chiropractor in BC. He's actually part of the board. And it was revealed that he posted on one of his sites, I think a social media or a Facebook site, and he talked about vaccines. And in his opinion, you know, he thought that, you know, as opposed to getting the flu shot, you're better off getting, you know, like a, a green or a fruit smoothie, nutritionally supporting yourself and your immune system. Of course, anything such as that raises the ire of the conventional practitioners, um, especially those that are physicians who are part of the government. And Jerna, I, th- I think a news organization, I believe it was CBC, reported this post and sure enough, this became a big brouhaha um, amongst uh, some government workers, some of the physicians, and how, you know, there's these chiropractors should not be saying this. More importantly, you know, he's they're not, not supposedly allowed to speak on the topic of vaccines it's out, out of the scope of the mandate of their practice and thirdly just the whole issue around questioning vaccine and vaccine effectiveness so then the question comes you know first of all what do i think of this and what do i think of vaccines in general and what about vaccines for your dogs for your cats first of all my thought is yes it, you could see how it could be inflammatory you've got this government who is you know they're of the belief that vaccine or be- vaccines are beneficial, the flu shot is beneficial. And yes, there's a uh, there is an array of different research to show that especially among certain populations that are at risk to the flu, that if you're given a flu shot, um, your chances of getting the flu can go down. But that depends on them guessing as as opposed to the strain of the flu that's going to come in to to the area. The vaccines have to be produced ahead of time. It's sort of anybody's best guess as to what type of flu is going to be present. So not all in some cases you know some of these flu vaccines are minimally effective you know less than 50 percent some are even 30 percent if they've guessed at the right strain it can be protective there are some people that have high risk of disease you know they have a higher chance of getting some of these more serious respiratory diseases such as pneumonia etc some of the secondary complications of, of the flu so in those cases and you're in an area where there's a lot of you're a lot of people say for instance a hospital environment well you know i, I would wonder then about myself getting the flu vaccine but for the majority of us first of all we don't work in that environment secondly i think the risks of the vaccines are being underplayed and you know my personal thought is i'm not going to vaccinate myself for the flu i'm not going to suggest that my family gets themselves vaccinated for the flu based on i really think that there's a serious risk around that vaccines this whole antigenic stimulation what we're doing to our immune system what else is in that vaccine that your body has to deal with uh, versus the protective benefit the chances of us getting the flu is there a chance you bet there is 
Is there a chance of it being serious? Unlikely. Is there a pretty good chance that the vaccine is not going to be effective? Yeah, there is too. So ultimately, it comes down to your own sort of personal decision, your own personal choice. I honestly think that, you know, the whole statement from the chiropractor about having a green smoothie as opposed to a vaccine, for a lot of us, you know, that's, that's pretty true, in my own opinion. Yet, you know, once again, that's the whole issue around regularity bodies, governing bodies, what you say in public, what you don't say in public, and how you can say it. But ultimately, I, I'm. it's good to know that many of us can make up our own mind, our own decisions, and we're able to think for ourselves. You can weigh the pros and cons, the benefits or not, and make your choice. Now then, what do I think about vaccines? You know, this segues into vaccines for our dogs and cats. And, you know, I recently had um, someone talk to me around the issues around rabies vaccine and how I've sort of discussed it in the past in some of my webinars, some of my presentations, just questioning the, the benefits of having some of these vaccines. How many do you need to give to your dogs or cats? What is the real risk versus the real risk of the disease versus the benefits you're going to get from protecting your dog or your cat? The example I want to give is something like the rabies vaccine. So the issue here with rabies is that it's a serious infectious disease disease. You're, no question, you're pretty well protected by vaccines, um, both your dogs and your cats. Yet there's you know, a reasonable chance of some type of side effect of that vaccine. Most animals can get it. They're going to have maybe a mild you know, vaccine injection reaction. They might be lethargic for a few days, but some can have more ongoing serious diseases. And there's an array of things such as autoantibodies being created, you know, links to an array of different chronic health diseases, say for instance, even kidney disease in our cats. We're wondering links with vaccines and that as an example. Never mind the array of things such as allergies, anything that's affecting the immune system where it's being too underactive or too overactive. No question there's links with vaccines. Our cats that have things such as, you know, vaccine-induced sarcomas that's relating to the antigen, the type of the carrier that is carrying that vaccine. So yes, there's real risk from those vaccines, but at the same point, yeah, they provide a protective benefit. My personal thought and what I tell every pet owner is that, first of all, you need to know what diseases are in your area. What is your dog, your cat likely to get? So let's say, for instance, you've got a puppy. The two things I would vaccinate my puppy for is canine distemper virus, canine parvovirus. I give him a booster at 8 and 12 weeks. I would then wait a year after that and I would get a titer test to see if he has protective antibodies. If he doesn't, I would give him another booster then, but I may not boost him again after that. As, as the issue around rabies vaccine, I need to think about what is the risk of my, if I've got a little poodle who's not being exposed to anything, and I know in my area the only real animal that's going to have rabies in the area where I live is the bats, my dog is not going to get bit by a rabid bat. The odds are like one in several million. And I've got a little poodle. I wouldn't vaccinate that little poodle for rabies. If I had to travel the U.S., I'd need to, so then I would. Versus say you've got, you know, this big active outdoor dog who's out in the woods who's being exposed to stuff. Well, that's a different case than in that instance, you'd want to consider vaccinating for rabies. But once again, it's it's waiting. I wouldn't give that dog a, a rabies vaccine at 12 weeks. I prefer you wait a little bit longer, closer to six months, so his immune system is better able to cope with that additional vaccine. Then I would get a titer test done, you know, a year later. And at the very maximum, you'll be getting that rabies vaccine every three months, every three years, not sort of once a year, as still happens in some places.
As an aside, um, in people, it's, we're seeing it's protective for at least 10 years. I know I had a rabies vaccine 10 years, last, a little over 10 years ago. Last time I had a titer test, I was still had protective antibodies. We know it lasts, lasts much longer. Uh, there's a group called the Rabies Challenge Fund, and they're actually looking at measuring uh, antibody levels, and they're trying to actually change sort of some of the protocols being adopted by veterinarians um, nationwide to really question you know, how frequent we're giving these vaccines. Maybe we don't need to give them that often and in my opinion is no we don't so there's sort of my thought you know if i've got a little puppy a little what i have my little dog tula she's not going to ever get a, a rabid bat i'm not going to give her the rabies vaccine if you've got as i said if you've got an indoor cat that's the craziest thing do not vaccinate your indoor cat i really don't think you need to vaccinate your indoor cat for anything um, if you've got an outdoor cat like i have murray he's an eight-year-old kind of big fat guy he's a reformed diabetic he can't hunt anything he's never going to get a bat i'm not going to vaccinate him for rabies but if he, if he was an outdoor hunting cat with the potential to actually you know bite a rabbit bat well then i would think about having a rabies vaccine so you really need to know your animal know what's in your area discuss it with your veterinarian and really stretch it out you know i would do as i said you know do the two boosters at eight and 12 weeks if i had a kitten i would boost them for um, FERCP, the two respiratory viruses, plus, plus feline panleukopenia. At 8 and 12 weeks, I wouldn't do feline, feline leukemia virus vaccine. I would wait once again, closer to six months, to do the rabies vaccine. I'd do it, and then after that, I would, I'd be doing a titer test a year after that. Then I'd gate, you know, then I, at the very, very maximum, I would do, you know, a rabies vaccine every three years if I needed to. But I would, I, I honestly, personally would, you know, do the titer test after that and then just minimal vaccines then. So that's kind of my, in my roundabout way, my suggestions for what you should and should be not also, you know, vaccinating your dogs and cats. Laryngeal paralysis in dogs. What are the signs? Well, most dogs with this have a history of panting, easy tiring on walks or loud breathing. They may have changes in their bark and they may even have respiratory distress, especially with excitement or exercise. Some people describe a wheezing, whistling sound and large difficulties breathing in. What's the cause? Well, the larynx, it's, it's the voice box found in your dog's throat. The muscles of the larynx don't work properly in this condition. When your dog is, goes to breathe in, the laryngeal muscles, they don't open wide enough. It has the name paralysis. And then, as you can imagine, if there's additional swelling, it can lead to a breathing crisis due to blockage. So what can you do to help it? Like, what could you do to help your dog? First of all, if they've got any, your dog has any type of serious breathing difficulties, see if they're a veterinarian, they're going to do a proper exam and determine it. But in many cases, it's kind of classic. And I remember being in a vet practice and, you know, seeing a middle-aged lab coming in with this real, almost a bit of a rattly wheeze as he's trying to breathe in. As with experience, you get a sense of like, okay, this has probably got laryngitis paralysis he's got this real difficulty breathing in sure enough you do a light sedation and you can actually see as you as the dog you open your the dog's mouth and you can actually see it's just really difficult for that larynx to expand so they're on a, they take a breath in and it just doesn't move it just kind of sits there flapping so instantly you know that what the cause is going on Secondly, thyroid problems. There's a link between this disease and inactive thyroid glands. It's just a good idea to get your dog tested for being hypothyroid because then you could potentially replace them with thyroid replacement pills and treat the disease. MSM, it's a supplement found in some plants such as horsetail. It works by reducing inflammation in the joints and it may reduce laryngeal inflammation by acting as an antioxidant. The MSM dosage is 50 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. No question you want your dog to lose weight if 
they're overweight. A safe weight target loss is 50%, 15% of the body weight in a six month period. So the big thing here though, is you need to be doing this in a combination with exercise, increasing the protein in the diet. Secondly, you can think about using aspirin. Safe to use in dogs, the ASA dose is 325 milligrams per 40 pounds of body weight given twice daily. I mean, this is obviously this conventional anti-inflammatory that's available to you over the counter. So the big point here though, is you wanna give your dog some type of anti-inflammatory, here's an option. Personally, if you're gonna do a long-term anti-inflammatory, I would be discussing it with your veterinarian. And I would be thinking of some of the ones that are gonna be potentially a little bit more effective than aspirin with a few of the less side effects. One that comes to mind for me personally would be Medicam or Meloxicam. T-touch, you know, say that your dog has a serious breathing distress and you're also wanting to do something touch-wise, potentially calm them, you can think of Tellington T-touch. So what you're doing is you're tracing these small little circles on their on their tail, their mouth, and their ears. And especially, you know, if there's parts of the day when they're more anxious and they're having more difficulty breathing with laryngeal paralysis. Just try it on your dog when they're a little more anxious. Just make, you know, grab their ear tips with your thumb and your forefinger held together, making kind of these little circular motions with your thumb, for instance, or with your forefinger. For some dogs, they just really react, and you never know unless you try it. Um, a couple other options, you can think about acupressure, but there's a couple points to think of, and the one I think most easy to get is called the yin-tang point. It's at the base of the nose between your dog's eyes. So you just wanna sort of put your middle finger there, your, your forefinger, and just hold, put moderate pressure, just enough indent the skin. Hold that for 30 to 60 seconds when your dog is kind of anxious. And you see if he tends to calm down and like, ah, he's able to breathe. So when you think about this laryngeal paralysis is all of a sudden, imagine you're anxious, you're having difficulty breathing, then you get more anxious, you breathe faster, you get more inflammation. We're just trying to take the anxiety level down. And then especially during some type of breathing crisis, because we just know that larynx isn't opening wide enough. Lastly, I want to mention some of the herbs that may be beneficial. Um, and there's two in particular. The, the two in particular come in combination, curcumin and boswellia. Of all the different herbs you're going to mention, I think these are the ones you should be focusing on. If you've got a dog that got, has laryngeal paralysis, you're trying to naturally bring down swelling. So with curcumin, you want to use the 95% curcuminoids, and you're looking at doses of about 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. That's the standard 95% curcumin. Um, it's got, it has to be given with food, specifically with fat. In some cases, it's given with people with pepper, with black, ground black pepper, because that helps the absorption. But it works really well in combination with Boswellia. The Boswellia dose is 50 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight given twice daily. Those two work of all the different herbs I'm gonna discuss, they're probably the most important ones for inflammation. I think they'd be really helpful for this condition. Lastly, there is a, a homeopathic called arsenicum. The second one is called aconite. So aconite is one is sort of used for a crisis situation, like a sudden onset. Can I give my dog anything? Just nice, you can just lift up your dog's lips, st stick it under you know, just between their lips and their gums. It's a good one to try to have on hand. And I've had other pet owners talk about using arsenicum. That's more of a long-term thing. So they might try sort of one 30C capsule per 10 to 20 pounds of body weight twice a day. You do that for seven to 14 days with a dog that has laryngeal paralysis, seeing if it's helping or not. And the last thing I wanna mention is if there's this breathing crisis, like they're all of a sudden, they're really, really difficult to you. You're like, and you're likely gonna need 
to get your dog to the veterinarian, you need to like cool them down as soon as much as possible, especially if it's really hot. So run cold water over the back of your dog's head, place cold packs wrapped in towels between their back legs and their belly and in their armpits. You can also use wet towels. You're just trying to really cool them down. Secondly, if you have rubbing alcohol, that'd be great to have on hand. You can squirt some of that into the belly and the groin. It really cools as it evaporates. It's gonna help cool your dog down quicker. And then the third big thing is getting your dog to your veterinarian as soon as possible. Now, the last section of the podcast I want to talk about is French Bulldogs. In part, in part, I'm discussing it because I'm just seeing so many of these little Frenchies around, even in the little town where I live. And secondly, because, you know, they, they have the, they're an array of veterinary health problems. So it's good to know about. They're super nice. I just want to talk a little bit about them. And they're these tough looking little guys, but they're super friendly, super nice. They have these big ears, you know, these big back, back, bat shaped ears. They kind of have that bulldoggy kind of you know bow-legged walk about them they're a mid-sized guy they're around you know 30 pounds short hair they're pretty easy to care for and they really fit in as far as people living you know in a town like if you're living in a city and they they like to be inside they like to be around people and you know they're, so they're they have this neat little tough personality but they really bond to you well they can be more difficult to train and that was sort of my experience in practice they maybe weren't the most behaved dogs weren't necessarily all the easiest dogs to treat um, but they're just so they're so easy to bond to you know they, they have these they're full of the personality super nice little guys so i could see why they're a popular dog and and why they become a popular breed but there's a couple issues probably the biggest one here is called this brachycephalic syndrome so that or brachycephalic airway syndrome so as you can imagine their whole face is pushed in so they've got these facial bones that are compressed it can it affects their breathing they're they have these things called elongated soft palates so the back their upper roof of your mouth the, of their mouth the palate at the very back that's the top of the mouth is elongated so as actually preventing some of the airflow the airways can sort of collapse in on itself kind of like these dogs that have laryngeal paralysis they can actually have it's called laryngeal collapse the nasal cavities are really narrowed so all these things are in together make it really difficult for these guys to breathe meaning a couple things first of all you're going to be very careful around any type of heat you're not going to exercise them in the heat with the sun they're never going to be left in a car as no dog should but especially these guys you have issues around traveling for instance if they're put into any kind of any type of restricted space so so you have to be much more cautious with them also could make it more difficult during surgery if we need to anesthetize one of these guys put them under surgery so there's no no question there's concerns there veterinary wise and the second thing they can they can also suffer from these spinal malformations and if you watch them walk and you can sort of see how it is they can have these sort of a little bit longer backs and they're definitely more prone to things such as intervertebral disc disease with that where are you going to get one or not good question just know that you're going to probably spend more time at the veterinary and they can all have they seem to have just more veterinary problems period more of these guys are into the veterinary clinic more often than not personally i, I would be concerned especially about these guys the brachycephalic guys period and any of the brachycephalics concern me veterinary wise but then in, as being a vet that's what we used to see the dogs that had the problems but when i see a cute little you know frenchy puppy walking down the street i'm like oh i'd love to have one so i see the issues um, vet wise I can advise you on those but I also see how you could be uh, inclined to want to have one of these guys as part of your family well thanks you guys thanks for listening for the, uh, to this edition of Venery Secrets this is Dr. Jones this is podcast 40, 53 
I know I've been infrequent. I'm going to start getting on a more frequent schedule. I finally got my, I've sort of been moved out of my old office. I'm just finally setting up a new home office again. So here I am now with also a better microphone, which I'm stoked about too. But so for sure, for thanks again for listening. If you, if you have any questions, any comments, feel free to send me an email. That could be podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. Um, you can also, you know, leave a comment. I'm going to post this on my blog. It's at theinternetpetvet.com. So also feel free to post a comment, you know, after that make suggestions about future podcasts i'd love to hear your feedback for sure but once again thanks for listening i look forward to talking to you guys again next week this is dr jones